and welcome to the HHH Racing Podcast and episode two of our special feature segments called All About Adelphi. There you go on the bottom of the screen. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, this is your host, Howard Kravitz. We have a really special uh, show for you this evening. Again, these segments are dedicated to the fantastic Adelphi Racing Club, a wonderful partnership out of New York, which I'm uh, proud to be a part of and have uh, pieces of two horses. Thanks for joining us tonight. We have a fantastic special guest. I'm very excited to have this gentleman on, which we'll bring him on in just a few minutes after we take care of a few things I'd like to tell you. First of all, as you can see on the bottom of the screen, our next live broadcast will be this Thursday night, and it's a little bit of an earlier time. It's going to be 6 p.m. Eastern. Again, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time this Thursday with the one and only Matt Bernier from NBC Sports, and he wears many different hats. We're going to be talking about a huge uh, day of racing at Oaklawn uh, this Saturday. So please join, again, the HHH Racing Podcast this Thursday, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern with Matt Bernier. Uh, please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen there if you haven't done that, especially if you are a partner here at Delphi Racing Club. Make sure uh, you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Also, uh, hit that notification bell so that you know when new content will arise, especially our All About Adelphi features. And then also smash that thumbs up button. That will tell YouTube that this is a fantastic, interesting show. There's the information, by the way, if you're new to the Adelphi Racing Club. Matt Cutera does a great job as the uh, racing manager. And you can see the website there on the screen, uh, email, Instagram, and Twitter. If you are listening to this, of course, you can listen to our uh, podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. So if you're listening to this, please go to my YouTube channel, again, HHH Racing Podcast, and you can uh, watch the show there, and you can find out also about uh, Adelphi Racing Club. And I'm just going to go ahead very briefly show everyone where that is on the screen, so I'll share my screen so everyone can see. Uh, if you go to my YouTube channel, there you go, and just go ahead and scroll down there, and you see there's a section that says all about Adelphi. We've already had one episode where we talked about uh, two horses that I personally uh, co-own. One's named Salivo, and the other one, uh, I don't know if I can make it official yet. He does have a name um, that's been accepted, but I don't think it's quite official. So I'll wait for Matt Cuter to tell me that we can actually say the name of the Tappert cult. Uh, but Salivo is, of course, named Street Sense Philly that our guest knows very well, that everyone in the partnership is very excited uh, to talk about. So anyway, that's where you can check out our episodes right there. Um, also, there's a lot of promotions here on the show. I'm not going to really talk about them too much. Go beneath below the video player and you can find out. Now, if you are new to the show or you're part of the partnership, please make sure in the top right-hand side of the screen, we have a live chat. Go into the live chat. We already have someone commenting right now. Uh-oh, this is from Matt Cuter. Okay, so I can make it official, folks. We're going to make it official right now. We have the name of the Tappert cult, ladies and gentlemen. This is uh, a cult by Tappert, um, and the dam is Eccentric Spinster. The name of this horse is called Magistrate. Magistrate. Give it up for Magistrate, the name 
of the Tappert Colt, just official by the Jockey Club this week. So congratulations to uh, myself, who has a, a piece along with my brother and all the partners of the wonderful gray uh, Colt uh, by Tappert, his name, Magistrate. So look out for Salivo and Magistrate, Magistrate coming up uh, hope, later this year, hopefully. Um, all right, I think that takes care of everything we want to talk about because I'd like to bring on our guests. I don't want to waste any more time. I don't think we need to. I think we've covered everything. Let me just check. I think we have. Again, please make sure you comment. Uh, any questions for this guest would be greatly appreciated. I know we'll be happy to answer them. So without further ado, let's bring them on right now as I go ahead and press a few buttons. Here we go. Uh, this gentleman has done a great job, not only for Adelphi, but for other people as well. He's been in the industry for a very long time for obvious reasons I'm sure he'll talk about. Uh, we'd like to bring on the Bloodstock agent for the Adelphi Racing Club, live from Florida. It is, there he is, Joe McGliori. Joe, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Howard. Excited to be on, and, and thank you for having me on. Sorry uh, to the viewers, this is my hotel room behind you right now. Uh, I'm down in Ocala, Florida for the OBS uh, March sale and uh, and scouting out you know, some two-year-old and training sale horses and, and just excited to be on tonight and, and happy to be with you guys from Ocala, Florida. Yeah, thanks a lot. Listen, you've had a very busy week. I, we know it's not over yet. We have so many things we want to ask you, questions, not only on behalf of the Adelphi Racing Club, but just people in general that are watching. We have a lot of people watching live right now that are interested, of course, in you and getting into the business, I'm sure, as well. I mean, a, a lot of times you hear on podcasts, including mine, about handicapping, and we all want to win money, but there are so many things that go on behind the scenes that maybe some people are not aware of that we want to uh, uh, we want you to fill people in on. Uh, we have MyTube is here. You're going to see questions and comments on the bottom of the screen. Uh, MyTube, not YouTube, MyTube, thanks for joining the show. I've actually not seen you, MyTube, so thanks. So we appreciate it. Magistrate, yeah, hopefully a night, uh, it's going to have a, a wonderful career. So, Joe, here's what we're going to do. Talk a little bit about, we're going to ask you a few questions about your background, your family background, et cetera, and then we'll jump into the sales and Adelphi in particular, and then we'll end with my famous 10 minutes to post segment, rapid fire, sort of fun questions, some, some horse racing, some not horse racing, so uh, you'll, you'll see what that's about. So first of all, talk a little bit about uh, growing up as a, as a jockey and assistant trainer's son. Of course, both your parents were in the, are in the, still in the business, are in the business. Talk about what that was like growing up. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, I'm also the uh, the, the first uh, uh, child uh, in my family. I'm the oldest of four. Uh, so I think from a very early age, um, it was uh, the only things I really truly, my, my earliest memories, all, all that I can remember, you know, from maybe ages three, four, five years old is, is being at the racetrack. Um, you know, it, it's very much home for me. It's very much you know, where I grew up. Um, and, and for a, a while before I, I had any siblings, it, it was very much just myself watching my father ride, you know, with my mother at the racetrack. Um, and, and, you know, I think that very much ingrained in me from a young age that this was a, a place I found comfort in, a, a place that I found excitement in and, and really wanted to be at. Um, and obviously, of course, as I got older as well and and uh, reached my teenage years, I was probably what you would call a, a bit of a track rat. Uh, I wouldn't leave the racetrack every single weekend, was, was going to the races with my father and, you know, being in the jockey's room, being out in the crowd. And, and uh, for me, it's just always been, especially the New York tracks, Belmont and Aqueduct uh, in particular, 
that's home, you know? So uh, growing up in that setting, how could you not end up in racing? Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to talk about some of these tracks. I know your father's talked about Aqueduct uh, glowingly quite a bit for many obvious reasons. So you touched on this a little bit. Which part of the horse racing industry interested you the most in your teen years? I know you've walked hots for Mike Hushin and for John Kimmel as well. But as you were sort of going in your formative years, was there a particular part of the industry that you really wanted to be uh, involved in? You know, so to, to, to be honest, I think it began in those kind of preteen years and maybe like 13, 14 of like still that slight hope that I could be a jockey myself, <clears throat> excuse me. But, um, you know, I've passed my dad in height, I think at about 13 or 14, I, it was always, you know, people, so I used to, as a young kid around the racetrack, you know, people ask you who you want to be or what you want to be when you grow up. And, and, uh, my answer when I was younger would always be, I either want to be a jockey, uh, or I want to play in the NBA and people would laugh right in my face. And, you know, to a 10, 11 year old, you know, kid, you, you don't really understand why. Well, it turns out I ended up very much in the middle of those two professions, uh, you know, uh, far too tall to be a jockey and, and, and far too short to be uh, in the NBA or, or not skilled enough to be in the NBA. So, um, you know, that's kind of where the interest started. And I always thought even kind of held out hope in, into those early puberty years of, you know, I'll be short enough or I'll stop growing and, and I'll be light enough. And I, I am a thin guy, but I I'd still nowhere near jockey weight by any means. Um, so I, I think, did, did you want to, were you thinking about becoming a jockey? I mean, let's say that you were five, six, I mean, let, let's say that your physical limitation, uh, not limitations, but yeah. you know, because of your height, if, if that hadn't been a hindrance to you, do you think that's something you would have wanted to go into? Uh, you know, I think I would have, I, I think knowing what I know now and, and kind of the age I am now a little bit more maturity, I, I think I would have tried. Um, I don't necessarily think that I would have had maybe the, the mental fortitude that it takes or the, or the, you know, also the riding skill that it takes, um, you know, to be a successful jockey. I'm sure I maybe would have ridden races if I was jockey size. Um, but I think I'm past the point of telling myself I would have been some Eddie Arcaro or something like that. I, I think I probably would have rode, I would have been nowhere near my father. I know that. Um, but you know, yes, if I was that size, I would have tried. I don't think I would have succeeded. Uh, if anything, I think being six foot one was a huge blessing because it led me kind of to the path I'm on now. And, and it's my own path in a sense. And, and, uh, I think when I hit like 15, 16 years old, I started to realize, okay, well, you're not going to be a jockey. Um, you're going to have to be something else. And, thought about being a trainer and then saw that those guys have to, uh, you know, wake up at, at three 30 in the morning every day for 365 days a year and, and said, you know, okay, there's other things to do as well. And uh, I remember shadowing actually um, a, a bloodstock agent at the Saratoga select sale and, you know, watching the process of, you know, what, what he was doing. And I said, you know what, I think this is what I want to do kind of sourcing the next talent or scouting the next talent. And, and I, I became infatuated with that. And honestly, from maybe college years on, uh, everything I did was in, in, you know, in going towards becoming a bloodstock agent and, and being involved with, you know, picking out horses and buying horses. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that. You're, you're just flowing right into my questions. I really, you must be looking at my rundown here. So talk very briefly about the Irish national stud breeding course and Australia. Listen, this is like the 60 minutes of horse racing. We do, I do deep dives. I do my, my research here. So uh, talk to people a little bit about those uh, two items on the bottom of the screen there. For sure. So I, I think what initially happened was, uh, you know, probably some part of my punk 17 year old brain thought, I'm not going to go to college. I'm just going to go straight to the racetrack. Right. And uh, my parents swiftly put that to rest. 
and said, listen, you need to go get a four-year degree um, and, and, and get a degree that honestly, you know, they didn't want me to get a degree in equine science or, or you know, uh, you know, go pre-vet or anything like that or, you know, involving horses. They wanted me to get a degree so that, you know, knowing that if I went to the racetrack and I, you know, for some reason decided that it wasn't the path for me, that I would have something else, you know, uh, as a major, you know, uh, uh, you know to, to fall back on. Um, so I, I got a business degree, uh, I think in business management, but every second of those four years was spent thinking about how I'm going to get back to, to horses and the racetrack. And I actually went to University of Delaware, which is about 10 minutes down the road from Delaware Park. The Blue uh, Hens. The Fighting Blue Hens, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, fierce, ferocious mascot. But, in, the, uh, in the NCAA tournament, I believe, correct? I, Villanova's going down, don't worry. Um, okay. so, oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, oh, but, throwing shade. We just lost every viewer from Philadelphia, I think. <laughs> hey, go ahead. But, uh, when, <laughs> so when I graduated, you know, from UDEL, um, you know, I thought, what is the next step, you know, to really better my chances of, you know, kind of not just furthering my racing knowledge, but also, you know, I, I realized I hadn't really spent any time on a stud farm or on the breeding side of the industry and, and spent some time considering going to Lexington. Uh, and, and working for a stud farm there, obviously Lexington, kind of the breeding capital of our industry here in the United States. Um, but even took it a step further and, and said, you know what, well, why don't I, you know, if you can work with horses hands-on, if you have the skills to work with horses, horses are horses, whether you're in the United States or whether you're in Europe or, or Australia or wherever else you might be. And honestly, if you can work with horses, you can kind of travel the world and, and, and you know, get that, you know, uh, global experience, if you will. Um, so I, I applied for the Irish National Stud course, you know, kind of researched what it was, saw that it was a, a six month, uh, you know, course in the breeding industry. It was a, a, almost it was considered like a graduate program um, and applied and was lucky enough to get in and, and, and went to Ireland and, and had a great six months on the course there. I think it was 2014, I want to say, uh, and, and made some exceptional friends. Also learned quite a bit about the, you know, what, you know, it, it, each two weeks on the course, you, you go to a different part of the stud farm and then you kind of cycle back through it again. So, you know, two weeks you'll work with yearlings uh, and then two weeks you'll work in the breeding shed and, and then two weeks you'll work with full lane. Uh, so it, it really exposed you to all facets of the game and it, and it showed me, okay, this is from, you know, step one, the mating, right. You know, breeding the horse. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, step two, falling step three, you know, raising a yearling and then, you know, on to sending that yearling off to, to go be broken, to become a racehorse. So it, it kind of made that grounding that I, I felt like I needed. Um, and from there, I, I kind of kept the train rolling and, and I, I got a job down at Arrowfield stud in Australia hmm. and was able to do more of the same down there, but just in another country as well and, and travel Australia a little bit. So yeah. and I was about 22, 23 years old and, and working with horses. And, uh, and honestly, life was a little bit simpler back then, <laughs> uh, but those were great times. And I got, I have fond memories of that, but I eventually got homesick and, and came back home to the States. Yeah, actually, uh, Australia's on my bucket list. I'd love to go there. And this is sort of a neat time of year because every time I go on Twitter, see these cute, you know, full pictures of foals being born. And, you know, like uh, this, this foal is literally three hours old. I just saw one today, like three hours old. I mean, it's just really cool. Especially I, I'm the total opposite. I did not, I'm a sub suburban kid. I did not grow up on a farm. The first time I actually ever went to a racetrack was when I was 16 years old. So we're on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, but we both love horse racing. That's the cool thing about this sport. It just brings people together from uh, different backgrounds. So after all that, um, you got a great opportunity to be 
with West Point Thoroughbreds, a fantastic organization. Talk very briefly about what you do with West Point and then your transition on to uh, other things as well. For sure. So, I, you know, I, I really did see it as a great opportunity to come home. I, I was starting to get a little homesick. Um, you know, but to be honest as well, if when I applied for the job, if I didn't get it, I probably would have stayed in Australia a little bit longer. I'm sure I would have came home eventually, but uh, it, it just, I, I was familiar with West Point. Um, obviously, because their partnership has been around so long. And, and my father actually rode a significant amount of horses for them. You know, he was riding kind of first call for Karen McLaughlin, who was, yeah. uh, you know, kind of West Point's main sure. trainer at the time and, and uh, you know, some big victories for them. So I, I was familiar with West Point. Um, I, I, you know, and, and applied for the job and was lucky enough to, to, you know, for them to give me that opportunity. Um, and I, I was with them for about six years and I was in a, uh, a sales and partner relations role. Uh, and, and it exposed me to even more, elements of the business that I, that I was looking to be exposed to, um, being able to go to, you know, sales like this down in Ocala, uh, and, you know, uh, listen to their team and their bloodstock team and learn from them. Um, and, and then also deal with a variety of different owners, you know, owners who would own a tiny little piece of one horse or owners who would own big chunks of, you know, 20 different horses. So it, it kind of accelerated that growth process, if you will, uh, about, you know, responding to owners, um, you know, getting a lot of different inquiries from owners, different questions, different concerns, different comments, different personalities, right? You get some people are very tightly wound and, and every little thing matters so much. And some people that are very laid back and, and, you know, Hey, how's the horse doing? Great. You know, sure. Whatever. Um, and Wouldn't you have anything to do with the millions of dollars that are being spent, <laughs> but you experience all of it, right. With a partnership, oh, you get sure. all kinds of people. Uh, yeah. and then also you get all kinds of results, right? You get, the day that the horse got a terrible ride and, and how to deal yeah. with owners with that. And, you know, the day that the horse ran great, the day we ran, the horse ran up the track last, you know, it's uh, so it really exposed me to all those different experiences uh, and kind of, like I said, accelerated that growth process. And, and it was a great six years with West Point and, and really valued the time I spent there. So then you would decide to venture out on your own as a bloodstock agent. Well, also you're a jockey agent. We'll we'll talk about it a little bit. As that, well. that came later, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, right. Yeah. Uh, so you're down. Let, let's let's talk about where you are right now, and then we'll transfer that into what that has to do with the Delphi. So uh, you're down to two year old sales uh, in Ocala. Um, what characteristics do you look for most? whether it be for Adelphi or other, you know, people as well at the sales, then compare a little bit of what you might look for at the yearling sales versus the two-year-old sales. For sure. And it's a great question because it, it's, it's very much uh, different, different characteristics that you would be looking for and different things, honestly, that, that kind of influence price uh, uh, on a horse and the, and price is such an important part of the equation because you, you know, my job as a bloodstock agent is to, to really try to meet the client's needs. What is the client trying to accomplish? Um, and, and, you know, what is, uh, you know, the, the client's goals in the industry? What, you know, where, where's the client looking to be? What type of horse are they looking to buy? And, and honestly, you know, it, it's, it's not the best question, but you know, what is their budget as well? And, you know, my job is to gear the experience they're looking to have to the money they're looking to spend. Um, and, and there's a variety of factors at a yearling sale versus a two-year-old sale that influence that. Right. So, um, for me, it, it's about trying to get to know my clients the best I can to, to achieve their goals. Um, and I'd say, you know, when it comes back to the question of what are the differing, you know, characteristics, you know, from these sales, 
you know, I, I like to say that your your money maybe carries you a little bit further in terms of pedigree, um, you know, at the yearling sales, uh, because think at the yearling sales, these horses are not broken yet. They're not accustomed right. to a rider on their back. They're not, they're not even accustomed to having a saddle on their back quite yet. So it, it's something where the only opportunity you're going to get to uh, analyze them physically is on the end of that shank and and walking, you know, back and forth in a path and looking at their conformation looking how they walk, how do they, you know, how do their legs track? I like to say, you know, as they come towards you, as they walk away from you. Um, and then also trying to see, uh, you know, evaluating that physical specimen and then comparing it to the pedigree and saying, okay, does this physical match what the pedigree says the horse yeah. should be? Um, you know, so at the yearling sales, that's the true focus. And you don't, you don't get a ton to go on other than the walk and the physical and the page. And that really does gear price at the yearling sales. Um, I always tell people that our pedigree nerds, if you will, are really enjoy, you know, pedigree analysis that, you know, probably a yearling sales for you. Whereas the sale I'm at now here in Ocala at, at the OBS sale, the OBS March sale, you know, it was a two-year-old in training sales. So the horses all go out there on the track yeah. and they breeze either a furlong or uh, sometimes they breeze a quarter mile, they breeze two furlongs. Um, and that is a timed work. Uh, that is a work that is put up to slow motion analysis, data analysis, oh, yeah. stride length analysis. Unbelievable. And, and we're down here dissecting <laughs> what this horse does in a very short span of time on one day on a track here at OBS. And and, and it it's honestly, it reminds me a little bit of like the NFL combine, if you will. I was will. just going to say, right. it's like the 40 yard, 40, you know, and, 40 yard dash or whatever. I mean, it's crazy, right? Exactly. And, and, you know, sometimes we are so harsh on these horses for what they did in a span of 30 to seconds, you know, to 45 seconds, you know, in the span of a breeze. Um, and you got to keep in mind, they're two year olds, they're young, they're still somewhat immature mentally, um, somewhat immature physically, some of them. So you, you need to be able to balance an analysis on that breeze with, okay, where's the horse at physically? Uh, and then, uh, to be honest, at the two-year-old sales, pedigree goes out the window a little bit. You know, it, you'll see horses by sires that you've never heard of that breeze really fast, breeze really well, breeze really fast, and they make a ton of money. Uh, you know, whereas that horse maybe sold as a yearling for ten thousand dollars. You know, and now they made two fifty today. You know, or something like that. So it's the, the two-year-old sales. Good horses, little- good horses can come from anywhere, right? That's what they say. And, and, and sorry to interrupt you. There's a great question here from from my two. If you just go towards the bottom, when you're looking at bloodlines. How much you, you you sort of touch on this a little bit? How much your decision is based on gut instinct versus you know your your you know nuts and bolts critical evaluation of the pedigree? Great question, my two. Yeah, fantastic question, and, and honestly, it's an ongoing debate at times for people, right? It's 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 you know, I've been trying to trust my gut instincts more. Um, I think would be my answer to the question. But that being said, it doesn't mean that I'm just taking the the, the sales uh, you know catalog here and I'm just chucking it out the window. But um, how many horses uh, we got there, Joe, in that catalog? About oh, there's so there's about 600 in the sale here or so, and and okay. we sold about half of them today, and and the other half wow. will go tomorrow. Again, um, any questions for Joe? Uh, sorry, any, any questions for Joe, folks? There'll be a lot of people watching. I'm sure he'll be happy to answer. We'll try to get as many as you can. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You sold. There's 300 been sold. And there's more that can be sold later. Yeah. So I mean, look, we're in the we're halfway point of the sale, obviously. Um, but but that being said, we've been da- I I've been down here, um, you know, for the past week or so because you know the, they'll have the breeze show where the horses breeze, and and that was three days long. Uh, we actually had a weather delay. There was a, a really awful 
weather day down here, there was actually a tornado that went through Ocala, um, but everybody's fine. Um, but, okay. uh, but so they delayed the breeze show one day and, and then we had a full day of, you know, looking at the horses on the shank. Uh, and then today was the first selling day. So, but, but honestly, I, I think gut instinct on the physical has become a more important part to me necessarily than finding out what half sibling did something somewhere or what, you know, sure. maybe the mare has been bred back to. That's a piece of the equation as well, especially if you're looking at fillies and, and potential uh, residual value, then, okay, then I'm looking more at the pedigree, but it, it's a little bit of a case by case basis, but I've been trying to go uh, with my first instincts and my gut feeling a little bit more than what the pedigree page is telling me. Yeah, I was at Ocala for the first time in December to see uh, Salivo and Magistrate. Now we can say, uh, where, now when they do, uh, by the way, I saw what a nine and four fits breeds a few days ago with a horse, which was, which is crazy. Where, where are they actually doing their, their one furlong or two furlong breezes in Ocala? So, so they're at the, the Ocala breeder sale sales grounds and facilities. So they actually have a track here at, at, on the grounds as well at, at the sales pavilion. Okay. And, but you know, the interesting part about it and something that almost makes the process a little trickier is that, you know, they breeze on a synthetic surface. It, yeah, it's it's I, not I, a, I always find yeah, that strange. I, it's I not a dirt surface. Um, if anything, synthetics probably play a little more towards turf yeah. Um, so you do have to be a little careful at times with, you know, kind of really truly evaluating a horse, um, you know, and how they move on the synthetic versus, you know, okay, well, maybe this horse has a dirt pedigree and, and what's he going to move like on the dirt or is he going to breeze, you know, all right on the dirt. Um, but you have to also build relationships with consigners that you can hopefully trust and, and maybe get some indication from them because obviously they raised the horse from the fall all the way up to the spring and now they're yeah. trying to breeze the horse and sell the horse. So obviously they're going to know the horse a bit better than you. And, and you need to have some relationships with consigners that you can trust and, and get some additional feedback at times. Well, right. Let, let's talk about some of the Delphi horses, by the way, we've got Daryl. They're all coming out of the woodwork. Went to school with your dad, uh, went to West junior high school. There you go. And was, uh, you know, talking, let's see how you want to be, maybe become a jockey. And uh, anyway, great to see you on the show. Daryl, thanks for uh, joining the show. Really, there's there's the first one in case you didn't get a chance to, to read that there. But uh, Daryl, thanks for joining the show. Really, really appreciate it. Let's talk a little bit um, about some of the Adelphi horses that that you bought last year. And then anything, I know you, do, you don't want to, I would give away any secrets or anyone you're looking at in particular right now for Adelphi, but I'm going to go ahead and bring up very quickly, about, just take about five minutes, uh, Joe, and then we'll go ahead to our uh, 10 minutes to post and, and wrap up the show here. Again, we're with uh, Joe Lori, Bloodstock agent for Adelphi Racing Club, also uh, jockey agent as well for Trevor McCarthy. Hopefully we'll have a little time to talk about that, but if not, I just want to say the tremendous job you're doing uh, and Trevor's doing just outstanding, uh, you know, his success and obviously your success as well. So congratulations on that yeah, end as well. Uh, let me go ahead and bring up this screen here. This is the Adelphi website because two of the horses that uh, I've partially own, I believe you picked both of them out. I, I'm, I, and I'm sorry for not knowing for sure uh, these two, one Colt, one Philly. Very briefly, let's talk about a magistrate who is right here on the screen. Now, this is obviously, a, you know, older, older picture. Um, he, he looks, he's bigger, stronger, etc. Talk a little bit about what you saw in magistrate last year. Again, this is the Tapper Colt, Tappert. Um, this is his first crop. They're now two-year-olds. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just kind of, so he was bought from the Keeneland September sale, the Keeneland September yearling sale, which is 
Um, honestly, I, I think the biggest horse sale in the world, period. I, you know, they sell about 4,000 yearlings uh, over a two and a half week span. Um, you know, so that sale is very much a marathon, not a sprint. You, you're looking at tons of horses over an extended period of time. Um, and he was a cult that just, we were talking before about that gut instinct, right? And, and the second that he came out of the stall and I kind of saw him put his head down and, and, and walk out of the shed row and, and, and walk towards us, just right away struck me as a, just a gorgeous head on him and also a, a cult that had a lot of size and length and, and scope. Um, you know, and then when you talk about comparing it to the pedigree page, right, he's, he's by Taprit. It's Taprit's first crop uh, of horses. Um, you know, so this will be the first group of Taprits, uh, you know, to uh, hit the racetrack and race. Um, but, you know, it's that Tappet sire line. And, and as you can just see from the photo, it, you know, it doesn't take a lot to notice or to figure out that, you know, he's very much kind of stamped by that sire line, right? There's a very, you know, unique look that, 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 that you know, the, uh, the Tappet sire line, you know, puts into horses. They're typically routers. Uh, they're, they're typically horses who relish, uh, you know, a distance of ground, you know, a mile and above, um, you know, and they also always have this kind of lovely length and scope and, and athleticism to go with it. And he just was able to carry himself with a lot of class, uh, put his head down and, and have this big athletic walk, um, you know, and just for me was a horse that I really was drawn to straight off the bat. My gut instinct right away was that I was attracted to the horse. Um, and then I remember calling Matt uh, and going through the shortlist like we do, um, you know, uh, periodically throughout every sale we go to, we go, you know, we, my job is to kind of, you know, you look at the wholesale, you narrow that down to, you know, maybe 20% of the horses, you look at them all again, and you narrow that down to an even shorter list. So, you know, he was one that was right at the top of my, you know, conversations with Matt, you know, right off the bat. Um, and, and for me, it was, hap was, was honestly thinking that, you know, I would maybe have to pay a little bit more for him than I did, was thrilled to get him at the price point, uh, you know, that I did. Yeah. That's the, kind of the rare pleasant surprise from sales instead of getting outbid, getting a horse, you know, kind of under the budget you maybe had allotted. Um, I think it was seventy five k. Do I remember that correctly? Is it correct. He, he was yeah. seventy five thousand dollars, and yeah. uh, and look, we bought him from a great farm as well. He where Tappert stands, Gainsway Farm, uh, probably the most reputable, uh, one of the most reputable, uh, yeah. you know, commercial stud farms in Lexington. Um, Been there, met his father, and met uh, yeah. met Tappert as well. For that, what it, a facility that is. Sean Tugel, by the way, throw, uh, shout out to Sean Tugel. Who's uh, at? Uh, I'm sure you know who he is. Obviously, there at Gainesway, for sure. And a lot of great people that work at Gainesway, and and just a, a, the most reputable farm that you can find. Um, on top of that, probably probably helped the equation a little bit that you know I'm a New York guy, and and his sire won the Belmont Stakes, which is you know probably my favorite race. Uh, you know that 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 we watch each year, uh, and honestly, I was able to um, you know see. Uh, I was, I, I see this cult this morning, actually, uh, it was, it was kind of downpouring rain here in Ocala, but he is currently at, at Kinsman farm. Okay. Uh, let's and, go ahead. Give us, yeah. give us the scoop. What do you see? Yeah. So, so he, uh, we sent him down obviously to be broken, uh, and pre-trained if you will, uh, at Kinsman farm, which is, uh, uh, you know, here in Ocala, um, and, and a lovely, uh, pre-trainer here, Emily Dawson. That's uh, just done a great job with him. Um, 
and you know, uh, uh, so it was actually right when we got there, the set was meant to go out. It was began a torrential downpour, uh, and and wasn't able to get such great video content, but was able to then when the rain stopped, you know, go see him on on the end of the shank again. And I was thrilled to see that he's actually gotten a little bit taller as well, uh, and, and really strengthened up, and and uh, just still all the same good things that I see, all the same good impressions. Uh, he's obviously going to Chris. Yeah, go was ahead. It a two-minute lick, Joe. Do you know what what kind of what, what kind of exercise? Was no, it? so I think with the weather this morning and everything, it was just out there, just a quick jogging this okay. morning. It was you know meant to maybe do a little bit more, but uh, you know this Florida rainstorms can be you know one hour of complete well, downpour. That's good. So we can handle the mud. We want to make sure that happens too, because I hear once <laughs> yeah. in a while it can rain New York, right? So there you go. Right, but then uh, you know then the sun was out forty-five minutes later. So um, so he's looking good I, and he's growing and developing. I had a chance to meet him down sure. there in December. What a sweet hard too and went right up to him really nice disposition uh you know who knows what's gonna happen here but uh i like a lot of things that you know about probably late developer right uh and christoph clement he's gonna be going to very patient guy excellent congratulations by the way to the clement uh family uh as well on, on the uh other you know marriage there uh, with uh acacia courtney very exciting yeah so congratulations to clements i heard it's a fantastic wedding you'll give me the deep you'll give me some details later <laughs> All the scoop about that. Uh, but, you know, probably later in the fall, you know, everything goes well. You know, I, just from a handicapping standpoint, probably one of those like seven furlong mile kind of races in late fall at Belmont. Actually, it might be at Aqueduct this year because of the construction situation. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but right. th- that would yeah, be logical, good. right, if things go smoothly. For sure. And, and look, he still gives me all those impressions of he's going to be a horse who improves as a three-year-old, a horse who relishes a, a further distance of ground. And, and when you think of the summer two-year-old racing, it's it's very much kind of glued to, you know, six furlong dirt sprints. Um, sure. Yes, we do run some turf racing, you know, and things like that that are at a longer distance. But, you know, I, I think with him, time is his friend. Uh, I think, uh, you know, any uh, that fall kind of debut start point is a very realistic goal uh, and probably what's going to be best for him. Um, yeah. I was actually out there with Miguel and Acacia this morning. They were able to see him as well and, and, okay. and both very happy too. And, and yeah, so he'll be shipping up to, you know, in, in all likelihood, Christoph, maybe in the, you know, the late summer and, and then be ready for, uh, you know, a debut hopefully in the fall. Terrific. Now let's talk about this uh, beauty here. Let me bring this one up. Uh, whoops, sorry, I didn't want to do that. There we go. Uh, this is Salivo. There she is. This is Street Sense Philly, Joe. Um, you picked her out as well, correct? Yes, she was also. Let's uh, talk about her a little bit. A lot of people are very excited about her uh, going to Ray Handel. Um, much more precocious uh, based on breeding and other things. Probably meant for grass, uh, potentially up to a mile, maybe a sprinter. We'll see. Uh, I've heard a lot of buzz from Matt Cuter and other people about this beautiful Philly who's uh, been down in Ocala as well. Not a kinsman at, uh, boy, I'm showing a blank. I'm sorry, where is she at now? King's Equine. She's at King's Equine. King's Equine, um, sorry about that. Yeah. And, and, and Raul Reyes, I believe, is that correct? Raul Reyes is go. farm, and uh, and Raul does a tremendous job. He, he's also a consigner selling horse, one of the consigner selling horses this uh, this week here at OBS. And um, I was able to see her this morning as well. Um, I was able to get to King's Equine a little bit earlier than I was Kinsman, and this was before the rain, so she was able to go out there, and I believe she galloped a mile today, um, you know, on the track there, uh, and just loved her disposition 
and her energy towards training. She was just very willing. You could tell very, she knows her job uh, and she was out there, you know, and, 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 you know, two-year-olds, uh, babies that, you know, weren't sent towards the sale at this point, they're still kind of galloping in pairs, uh, you know, one on the inside, one on the outside and, and kind of going as a team. And, you know, that, you know, they haven't been asked to really set down and, and fully breeze yet, uh, but yeah. she is, so professional about the way she gallops and like i said gallops with great vigor great energy um and, and then just coming off the track seemed very unfazed by things knows her job knows her routine uh and for her it's a very different body type and physical uh in terms of her strengths versus yeah. the tapper cult where he's kind of long and scopey and you know covers a ton of ground she's a little bit more kind of compact very big uh, muscular shoulder and muscular hind end, which leans to the suggestion that she probably will be a sprinter miler uh, type of filly, Um, you know, looking like maybe she'll lean towards grass, but not impossible that, you know, that, uh, that she could be good on the dirt as well. I mean, I I like to say, you know, and a common phrase in our game, but, you know, people have opinions, horses have the facts, you know, she'll probably tell us when she gets to Ray and and Ray, you know, Ray will observe that as well, exactly what she's best at. But I would think, you know, sprinter miler and and one that should come to hand a little bit sooner, uh, you know, than the other ones. By the way, sorry, I didn't, I wanted to keep that on the screen. Uh, hold on just one second. I want to bring this back. By the way, uh, uh, Joe, again, I want to be very respectful of your time here at Lawn Day. Could you go till, uh, till 9 o'clock your time, another 23 minutes? Absolutely. we got a lot of people asking questions on the screen that I'd like to get to, and I'd like to finish my 10 minutes of post. Is that okay for you? If it's not, that's absolutely fine. No, that just all right. we got all the time in the world. Yeah. I'll tell you what I like about Salivo, this right here. Now, I'm, I'm not – this right here, this muscle. Well, that, I, I, that, I am not – listen, I'm not a horse whisperer. Okay, but uh, I, I love I, I love the buttocks on this horse. I love the you know the hind end you talked about, um, and I'll tell you what also I liked, and only a few people have been able to see her in person, like myself and yourself and Matt and whatever. Is when I saw her breeze, boy, she was focused. She had her head down. She wasn't distracted. She had a horse story inside when I saw her down at Ocala. That was sort of looking around and all goofy, and she was just like laser focused on her job, which is very important. Uh, for a young horse, I think. Don't you Don't you agree? Uh, without a doubt. And so that muscle is called the Gaskin. And that is a Love very... Love that Gaskin. Yeah. <laughs> and that is a very po- important muscle in terms of generating power with their hind legs and generating speed. So, okay. you know, sometimes if you see a horse that has that big, I call it that kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger bicep looking Gaskin, that's yeah. that's a good sign. And, and a horse that doesn't have much Gaskin you would worry a little bit, okay, maybe they don't have enough strength in that hind leg to kind of push off and, and propel themselves uh, forward. So, um, yeah, she does have a tremendous gasket and hind end. And, again, that leans – those are kind of sprinter-ish qualities at times. Uh, and, and in terms of her focus, that's a, exactly what I observed this morning as well, just very attentive to her job and wants to do her job, which is a, a big thing because I've, I've had some horses before that – aren't too interested in being racehorses so uh you know and, it's and i know you I, I know you don't make these decisions but matt sent out a video said hopefully everything working well um she could move up to ray handles bar in new york as early as uh, april so in a few weeks here potentially for sure yeah april april late april early may would seem like the current trajectory obviously you know it, things could change on, on a day-to-day basis but at the moment i would agree that yes uh, late april early may seems like when she may head north Let's take care of a few questions from the viewers. 
Uh, San Francisco Sound, San Francisco, thanks for joining the show. Some of the best young sires, um, first few crops you see. Uh, I could name a few, obviously, but you're you're the bloodstock agent, so I'll let you answer that question. Well, look, I, I think, you know, the, the obvious answer to everybody right off the bat is, you know, the first crop of gun runners have just like completely blown away everyone's expectations. And, and obviously, you know, the, the increase in the stud fee and, and all the, the plethora of stakes winners, you know, that he's had in that first crop have shown that. Um, and, and immediately the market has adjusted where, you know, uh, if you want to buy a gun runner, you better bring a big bag of money <laughs> to the auction ring with you. But uh, he's an obvious one. I, I'd say, you know, two others to really mention that maybe have a few more crops that I'm big believers in. And they're starting to become a bit more popular as well. I, I would say not this time. Uh, it is a very popular young stallion who's just showing that he really is going to make it. Uh, it. Talked about potentially breeding a mare to him. And was told, no, you can't even get into him. He's in such high demand. So uh, not this time is definitely one, uh, you know, to, to focus on. And then another one for me personally, which, uh, uh, you know, I think he's also in that kind of, not this time at 45 and and Liam's, uh, the next one I think would be Liam's map, uh, who, who's a sire I'm, I'm a big believer in. And he's currently, I think, at 40,000 over at Lane's End. And and he's one that I think you'll continue see to continue to see that success as well. And I think the fee will continue to rise and the popularity will continue to rise. So uh, just a, just a, a couple to mention that, uh, that, that are off to great starts. By the way, not this time broke my heart in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, just losing the classic umpire, I believe, at San Anita. One of the, if I, if my memory serves me correctly, one of the best Breeders' Cup Juveniles in a long time, very fast fig for both of them. Yes. Really exciting race. I'm sure you remember the race. Daryl's got a question when purchasing a racehorse. What is the insurance like since so <clears throat> insuring a car, for example? Uh, may, maybe not so in, similar to insuring a car and probably a little bit more expensive than insuring a car. Um, Very but, briefly, but, again, you don't have to take too long yeah. on these questions. Yeah, um, no, look, respectful but, um, to the viewers and yourself because uh, we got a lot of questions, but just very briefly. Yeah, so uh, very briefly, so so you can insure a racehorse with mortality insurance. There's no performance insurance or just you know uh, general injury insurance. The the one thing you can insure a race for uh, racehorse for is in the event uh, uh, you know that they that they die, um, and, and typically you know you can assign a value that that uh, you know um, you you're comfortable with and that the insurance company is comfortable with as well. Uh my good friend Jim's got a question. Jim's from Buffalo, by the way. Uh, James, he's from Buffalo. When looking at potential purchase, uh, does the state where the bread make a difference? For example, New York breads versus other states. Obviously, the most expensive horses in general are bred in Kentucky. But, you know, New York versus, let's say, a Florida bread or, or uh, you know, Pennsylvania bread, et cetera. Certainly. It's a great question. And the answer is yes, that is a factor without a doubt and does make a difference. I think it depends on, you know, who your, who your buyer is. You know, if I was to have an owner that says I live in Pennsylvania and I, I'd love to go to parks and I, I'm at parks all the time. Yeah. I'm going to look for uh, Pennsylvania bread for that guy. And, and me, I'm a little bit biased and obviously just, uh, a large amount of the people I deal with are, are New York guys and, and, and race in New York. So New York breads, I put a big emphasis myself on and, and honestly, the one sale that I probably work the hardest, focus the hardest on raising money for uh, and buy the most at each year is the Saratoga New York bread sale. I, I think it was very close to being the leading buyer at that sale this past summer. And, and, and hopefully, you know, can do the same this upcoming summer, just because I have so many clients that race in New York and, and being in New York, bread is a huge, uh, huge advantage. Sure. 
Uh, two quick questions, and then we're going to get to our 10 minutes to post. Uh, number one, and obviously, by the way, the, you know, if the uh, breeding program is excellent, the purses are most likely going to be excellent. So the purse structure of a certain state gym, and please correct me if I'm, I'm wrong about this, Joe, but the purse structure of a state you would think would obviously affect the sales price of the of the state of the horse as well. I mean, if, if, if Texas breads obviously can be decent horses, but they don't have the purse structure that New York breads do, for example. So I, I would assume that plays into a factor. Um, if you were to predict right now, put put your genie hat on, who will be the best first crop sire this year for the for the two year olds that are going to be running? Because it, <laughs> I got to get I got I got my wallet here. I'm ready to bet the baby races at Toga and other places. I want to know who that first crop sire is going to be out of the box before everyone else knows, Joe. So so fill us in here. <laughs> Look, it is a tremendous year in terms of this this group of first crop sires. I mean, there's just so many accomplished. Uh, new styles. I mean, so many of them have just accomplished so much on the racetrack. Um, and, and honestly, if you look at this this Ocala catalog, it's almost like half the catalog uh, it, are, are new sires. So uh, you know, it, it's very interesting commercially that it seems like buyers are almost willing at times to gamble more on a new sire than they are maybe a, a sire that's slightly proven or maybe, you know, just like kind of a middle of the road, uh, you know, sire where maybe they're, they're not at the top of the list, like a, you know, like a gun runner or a tap it or a into mischief where, but sometimes people are just willing to, to splurge on a new sire. If you had to put a gun to my head right now, I find Mendelssohn very attractive been pretty impressed wow. uh, you know, by what I've seen on the track by some uh, of those at the breeze show this week. But that being said, this is just the first two-year-old sale of really four major two-year-old sales. So who knows, maybe there's some city lights around the corner. Maybe there's some taprits. Uh, you you know, there was a big selling tapper today, actually, that breathes very well. Ooh. But there are maybe five or six of them that have a, a, a real right to become a top-end stallion uh, based on their own pedigrees and what they accomplished on the racetrack. And it's going to be a hell of a battle for uh, the leading first crop sire. And we've seen some interesting Euro breeding. Even like Austern is an is a, is a Australian uh, horse I've seen in the PPs, you know, more recently as well. Um, so it's fascinating. By the way, the Mendelssohn uh, Colts and, and, and Phillies, Turt, uh, Dirt or Turf, sorry, just a total guess. What do you think they're going to be more leaning towards? Because that horse could run on both, obviously. It's tough because he was so versatile himself. And then, and then you look at his, you know, his sibling, you know, his half siblings, um, you know, into mischief and, and beholder. And, and then, you know, you think, okay, maybe dirt, but into mischiefs can do anything themselves. Yeah. Mendelssohn kind of did anything, obviously, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Leslie's lady, just a tremendous blue hen broodmare that she threw just exceptional progeny. And, and uh, they have a right to do anything. Those yeah. Well, they were obviously very, they're going to be very well meant. And they were, you know, Mendelssohn was in great hands, obviously, for a long time. Um, we have a few other questions, but I want to ask you, uh, bring up again, I mentioned that you're a jockey agent for Trevor. I'd be <laughs> remiss if I, we didn't talk about this. Tell us just how quickly how that came about, your relationship with Trevor, and also where he might be riding this summer, because I was curious to know that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, look, it's the, the role of a jockey's agent is something that I've always looked at myself and, and had knowledge of obviously he's following my father's career and, and, you know, him speaking about the agents that he had, you know, I, he wasn't always the easiest on his agents maybe, but you know, he, he had, you know, several really? of them through his career and, <laughs> and, uh, and look, it's, it's something where I think I have a very good understanding because growing up as a jockey son, 
what a jockey needs and what a jockey expects from his agent and, and how an agent's supposed to conduct his business. And, you know, I never really seriously considered doing it until the, maybe the past year or two when I started looking at it and kind of looking at the landscape of it and, and, you know, seeing my, you know, kind of bloodstock career starting and, and realizing, okay, I spent a lot of time at horse sales, but in between those horse sales, I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of just at the racetrack and, sure. and, and, you know, and this I'm helps the too, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm at the racetrack just as much as anybody, especially in the mornings and, and, you know, very capable of doing this job is what I realized. And, and honestly, I got to the point, felt comfortable that I could do both jobs at the same time. And, and, you know, then came the hard part of, you know, kind of identifying, trying to identify a talented rider that could be available. Um, and I've always thought the world of Trevor, uh, Trevor rode for clients of mine on the, on the bloodstock end, you know, before I ever even reached out to him uh, about being his agent. Um, and when I saw him go to California last year, I kind of said to myself and, and to no fault of his own, but I said, listen, I, I kind of know the landscape in California is struggling a little bit right now. There's not as many you know, horses out there. It's harder to fill races. There's a lot of short fields, right? Five, six, seven horse fields. There's a lot of guys in that room out there. And honestly, East Coast guys, no matter who they are, have always kind of struggled to go West and break in and, and kind of do well. Um, so I kind of had it in the back of my head of, you know, I, I'm going to watch him from out there. I total belief in his talent and his ability. Um, but let's just see how it goes. And if it's not going well, maybe I'll, I'll give him a call and, and, and make a pitch. And, and um, you know, I don't think it went as well as he wanted it to go, obviously, and, and was able to reach out to him and, and, you know, talk to him about coming home and, and just very grateful that he gave me the shot. It, it was, a, it was a big risk that he took, you know, taking a, a guy who's never been a jocks agent before. Um, but he gave me that chance. And, and, and I, at the start of the winter, we said, look, the goal is to kind of reestablish your identity here in New York. Um, and if we can be in the top five in the standings in, in the, at the Aqueduct winter meeting, that'd be great. And now I think both of us will sit here and tell you, we really hope somehow we could be the leading rider by the end of this two weeks coming up and, you know, been fighting for leading rider in, in kind of a great battle with uh, Dylan Davis, who's an exceptional young rider. And, and also Kendrick Carmouche is very much in the picture as well. And, and kind of a, a, a three-pronged battle that's going to come right down to the last day, in my opinion. And and uh, it's been a great winter. We've had tremendous success. So thankful to all the trainers that you know have supported us. We've worked really hard. We've breezed a lot of horses. We've been out there a lot of really cold mornings. And uh, and look, it, it you know whether we win the title or not, it's been a great winter. Kind of getting Trevor reestablished in New York. And, and to answer your final question. We're staying in New York year round. I, I know there's a lot of, you know, big, big names that are coming this way and, and some names from Florida that are coming back north. But uh, the two of us really pride ourselves on working hard and, and doing it the right way. And, and I think we got that mindset from both of our fathers who were also riders. And I, I got a plan. He, I, I joke with him, but I, I got a plan and, and we're going to make it work. And, and trust me, even if, you know, there's some tough months uh, in the summertime, I, I know we're going to be making some noise. Uh, throughout the year. Yeah, it's exciting. It's some guiding Flavian Pratt I heard is coming. Boy, that job, yeah. Colin. That job, and, and by the way, you know, uh, Umberto Raspoli is an excellent jockey as well. He's just, he's going through a little bit of tough time out there with getting mounts. And, but I mean, he had a run there where he was on fire as well in California. Uh, so there are some really, that jocks room, as if it wasn't tough enough, um, is going to be just, is crazy good. So we wish you and Trevor a lot of luck, but knowing the work that both of you guys put in, 
I, there's no reason why uh, if he gets the opportunity. I mean, you got to have the talent, right? I mean, if, if he's constantly you riding the horse. fifty yeah. to one, you got to have the horse. If he's riding fifty to one shots all all day, I mean, you can only expect so much. But um, hopefully, uh, he'll continue to get the support that he's gotten from this winter and he'll carry for it. Um, all right, Joe, you ready for our our famous ten minutes to post? Let's do it. I'm All ready. right. So we got a banner here. I, I developed this to add with my guests. They enjoy it. Let's bring it up here. 10 minutes to post. 10 <laughs> minutes to post. These are going to be 10 rapid fire questions, Joe, mainly horse racing. A few not. These are supposed to be meant to be fun. You could take five seconds to answer the question. You can take one minute. Um, you're done. You're dance floor. Whatever you'd like to do. Don't feel the need to go into great detail. Here we go. What was the first moment you fell in love with horse racing? Oh God, that's, I mean, it's a little bit of a tough one because there's a lot of early These memories. Aren't easy questions. What are you then going to throw a bunch no, of no, softballs I, I, at you? Come on now. I will say, okay, I'll, I'll give you a specific race even. Um, uh, it was the 1997 go for one. Uh, my dad rode a filly called Hidden Lake uh, and it was up in Saratoga. It was a grade one at the time um, and gotten a thrilling stretch battle. You can pull it up. It's all over YouTube. Uh, 97 go for one. And uh uh, thrilling stretch battle with a Philly and a tongue twister, but uh, called Flat Fleet Feet. Yep. Uh, and that was a, a race where she was a heavy favorite. She was expected to win, uh, but the other Philly really tested her, even got by her mid stretch, and she was able to come back and win. And, and I, I actually remember watching the race with my mother, and my mother kind of turning away when she got past and, and kind of thinking she was going to be beaten. And I remember her coming back and getting her nose on the wider and just watching. It just was a tremendous show from a, a, a race mare that she knew her job and she knew she wanted to fight back and get that win. And, and that has, has to, to be probably, you know, the principal. Yeah, you, you asked for it. Let's meet the bill. Yeah. Should we watch it? Here we go. We'll watch, second we'll watch to the end here third. with He's sound. Shoop now gets a nudge from Jorge Chavez to stay closer. It's another three back to feasibility study who's called on for her run. Then clear mandate, scenic point. My flag is still trailing the field. At flat late feet to confront Hidden Lake as they approach the top of the stretch. And they will arrive at the top of the stretch together. Flat late feet on the outside, Hidden Lake toward the inside. Flat late feet gets ahead in front as they turn for home. Hidden Lake trying to battle back. Five lengths back to Shoop. Clear mandate on the far outside and feasibility study. Hidden Lake is not done yet and she comes roaring back. Gamely on the inside. Flat Fleet Feet on the outside. Flat Fleet Feet. Hidden Lake. Hidden Lake and Flat Fleet Feet together at the 16th pole. It's Flat Fleet Feet first. Hidden Lake. What a brave filly. She's coming back. Here's the wire. Hidden Lake. Oh. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that one still gives the goosebumps right here. <laughs> you got bit, it? So I got goosebumps a little bit. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> all right, there you go. The, the, the beauty of YouTube, right? Incredible. Um, all the old races. I, right? I guess. I guess with that. Well, this I'm asking. This is more a horse racing event. But if you want to throw that You're race right. in, that's fine. But I was thinking more on a larger scale nationally for this question. Um, you know, look, uh, that that's certainly one of them. Um, I think the first Derby I ever attended is probably towards the top of that list as well. The the, the 2000 Kentucky Derby. Uh, my dad rode a horse called Wheel Away. Um, also for John Kimmel, that was Hidden Lake was John Kimmel yeah. and, and also Wheel Away was as well. And I remember he cut, he hit the front turning for home. Uh, for a split second, it wasn't very long because uh, Pusaisi Pegasus had kind of tipped out and rolled by everybody shortly after that. But I, I, I actually, believe it or not, I also I, I was nine years old and I met uh, 
he wasn't the president yet. He was campaigning at the time. I actually met George Bush at the Derby at, when wow. I was nine years old. So there's a few memorable things about that first Derby that that, that had to be my answer. That's that pretty question. cool. Well, this the Belmont this year will be my first Triple Crown race. I know a lot of people are like, Howard, you've had a horse racing podcast. I've Listen, I've been to a lot of places. I've been to the last, like, four years. I just didn't, didn't have a chance. I'm a, I'm a by the way, a, a full-time uh, high school math teacher, uh, Joe, if you know. So obviously I'm very busy for the most part of the year. But I've been recently I've been able to go to Keeneland, San Anita, Del Mar, um, so my next bucket list is, is Audi. So I'm really excited to go to my first triple crown race ever at uh, the Belmont this year. Hopefully there'll be a, a triple crown line. So that'd be pretty exciting. Uh, bucket list track or race day event you'd like to attend in the world you've never been to. Okay. So, I mean, there's, there's several on the flat, right? But it's actually fitting because it's happening right now, but something over jumps that I'm dying to go to is the Cheltenham uh, wow. racing festival. And I would give anything to not be at this horse sale right now and be over at Cheltenham. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give that as the answer. Fitting wow. that it's this week. But uh, plenty of things as well. I mean, obviously, there's something like Royal Alaska. I, I've always wanted to go to Hong Kong and, and kind of see, you know, Happy Valley and Shatin. always be very, very interesting. So I have a few of them. But but for this week, we'll go with Cheltenham. So you've been to the Melbourne Cup then because you were in Australia. So I was in Australia and I didn't go to the Melbourne Cup. It was just... Just a complete That's my bucket list right there. Yeah, mean, it's it's a, the race that stops the nation, Joe. I, I, it's I mean, not the nation, but I, I was in Scone in New South Wales in the Hunter yeah. Valley and, and watched okay. it on a television. But <laughs> I hear Australians have, from what I understand, that race, that, that, that day is like, it makes the derby look like a little cocktail party. I hear Australians oh, like to drink open. some beer and have some fun. That's what I hear. The only thing open is bars. <laughs> There's nothing else open. Okay. Crazy. Um, the best horse you saw at any sale in person, whether they've gone on to win $5 million or maybe they just didn't, maybe they were the green monkey. It didn't quite work out, but is there a horse that you've seen at the sales, you know, in your, in your short time that you were like, wow, just completely blew well, you away. So, so, I mean, honestly, um, you know, there's two of them that, that come to mind. Um, and they were both obviously, you know, when I was with, with West Point, um and the first one would be a, a horse called decorated invader um who just immediately was we talked about that kind of gut instinct first impression thing uh, and when i was i remember being up on the hill at keeneland uh kind of those back barns um you know up up high on the hill there uh overlooking the training track at keeneland and uh i remember being with uh you know aaron birkenhauer and and jeff lifson and the three of us looking at horses together and and, and when he came out we all kind of just stopped and, and and really just were completely drawn to him infatuated with him at the time and and uh ended up buying him and and he, he ended up being a, a horse that came very close to winning a Breeders' Cup race as a two-year-old. Had a nightmare trip that day. Oh. Um, you know, you and, had to remind like, me. Well, I think it was like eight. Yeah. Oh, man. I still remember. I, I, I remind remember. myself. I think it was like eight to one, like steadied, couldn't find room. I couldn't believe I was getting the price. That was, that was at Christoph, right? Christoph as well. And oh. Christoph at the time was still looking Brutal for his Breeders' Cup. So it was a lot of painful moments of that day. Oh. But he he was able to, you know, he was a grade one winner as a two-year-old and, and just a very exciting horse. And then um, it was another one. Uh, another one, obviously, is the, you know, kind of the big, you know, star for for the, you know, Heronises and, and West Point and, and just an exceptional job by uh, West Point's bloodstock agent, David and Gordo, uh, to select these horses for them. But um uh, is Flightline. Um, and, and, you know, uh, Flightline was at the Saratoga Select Sale. And I remember 
you know, kind of doing a partner tour and pulling out some horses that were on the short list. And uh, I remember there was one specific partner um, that, you know, his, his question, every horse we pulled out was like, what's wrong with this horse? Right. <laughs> and like, what's the negative about this horse? Right. right and right. it was always just a very, it was almost a somewhat comical question when you're at the Saratoga select sale, because there's so many perfect yearlings at this sale. Right. And so many big high dollar horses and, I remember standing in front of fight line and him going, well, if you had to critique this horse some way, what would you say? And I just was staring at the horses. I can't, I can't, can't, can't critique this horse. So let's just uh, hope he, he say, I mean, I'm, I, I've never yeah. been on a horse, you know, 10 times million more about, you know, about uh, horse flesh than I do. All I've heard from people is like, maybe he's just too fast for his own good. I mean, if that's even possible, he's just such, I mean, I've been, I've been betting, watching horse racing, following it, uh, for I'd say 30 years. I just turned 50 last summer. A good 30 years and seriously deep diving pedigrees, everything, handicapping Joe, I'd say a good 20 years. I mean, you, go zapper, you could go down the list in terms of just flat out just speed. This horse is just a total freak and I'd love to see him in the Met Mile. Let's just let's just hope he's there the Met Mile because I think the Met Mile, uh, and this is more handicapping Joe, but you're a fan also. The Met Mile could be the race of the entire year. If, you know, if life is good, can be there in flight line. I mean, speakers, corners, I mean, the list just goes on and on. That meant mile could be the race of my lifetime. And it wouldn't even be obviously a triple crown race. I mean, it could be unbelievable. Oh, for sure. It, it could be the race of the century. If Jackie's Warrior, right, I mean. Yeah, Jackie's Warrior's coming. But if all the right players man. show up, it, it could be the <laughs> best race in my lifetime, for sure. And uh, just hope it materializes, hope it happens. Yeah. But yeah, those, those are two that, that came to mind for me. Uh, what advice would you give a young person breaking into the business? This is a great question. I get this question a lot as well. I mean, look, so, you know, it, a lot of the time, you know, this industry, if you don't have any connections to this industry, not someone fortunate like me who grew up in it or, or you know, has, you know, parents that are, there were in prominent roles of it or, or family members that were in prominent roles, it can be very challenging and very frustrating um, to try and break in. And, and it's going to be that much harder to try to get to, you know, maybe a point you want to get to in this game. But the number one piece of advice that I can give anyone, um, especially if it's to work with horses, uh, it's, it's a little bit different. Maybe if you want to work at the racetrack or, you know, it, you know, for a, a racetrack, something like this, a little bit different, but if you want to work hands-on, you know, with horses to just maintain a positive attitude, continue to work as hard as you can, you know, stay humble. And, and honestly, it, it will rise up for you. And it, it's the the young people sometimes that I see that they're frustrated by, maybe they don't have the connections and the things that they feel like things aren't happening fast enough for them. Just continue to work hard. And that is the most appreciated thing in our game. And people notice it. If you have a positive attitude and you work hard, people will notice that. And and yes, it may take a little longer, but it's going to come. And, and, and the other thing too, don't be afraid to ask people for help and don't be afraid to introduce yourself to someone. Um, you know, I love when younger people kind of introduce themselves to me, say who they are, what they're doing, where they're at, uh, because then it's a person that, okay, now you're on my radar and I, I'd love to help you any way I can, you know, so don't be afraid to introduce yourself and, and just work hard and be patient. You got to take a chance. Boy, so many things you just said sound like they're right out of your dad's <laughs> mouth on America's Day of the Race. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> great minds think alike. Okay. I think I know the answer to this question. A horse you bought winning the Derby or being the agent of the jockey who wins the Derby? 
Oh, you're gonna get me in trouble with either Matt or Trevor, one of the no, two, right? No, no, that's it. They both they both understand. Like I told you, we're gonna we're gonna put you under fire today. One way or not, someone's gonna hate you. No, I'm just kidding. They're gonna love you either way. Okay, Trevor. well then I'm gonna I'm gonna spin the answer and I'm gonna say a horse I bought with Trevor on his back winning Perfect. the Derby. Done. <laughs> Boom. Mic drop. There you go. Uh, Mets or Yankees? Yankees. Okay. Two other two other questions and then uh, we're gonna end the show here. Um, best go-to restaurant near any particular racetrack in New York. Cause I'm going out there. I, I want to have some, I heard Don Peps I've heard has been Don thrown Peps. my way, right? That's yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, from my good friend, Paul Halloran suggested Don Peps out there that we're going to go. Um, Salivo obviously is a great restaurant in Saratoga who the horse is named after. So I'll be going to Salivo. I'm sure there's a zillion others. I know you're going to get more people upset now. You can name a few if you'd like, if you don't want to name one. Well, look, all right. You've already, you've already drilled like two of the top ones. Uh, okay. you know, if you go to Aqueduct, absolutely. Don Peps is, is the number one on the list. Uh, you know, Saratoga, obviously Salivo is just an exceptional place. There's so many great restaurants in Saratoga though. There's honestly so many that I can't even start to name a few because you're, you're going to end up leaving some out. And, but you. honestly, the vast majority of restaurants in Saratoga a great place to eat at. It's just about where you can get a reservation, yeah. honestly, uh, and, and make reservations early. If you are going to be traveling to Saratoga, maybe your first time uh, this upcoming meet, um, you know, tons of one? great. Things. That's a great one as well. Yeah, That's it. Uh, so if you're working towards Belmont now, I'll, I'll give another, I'll give two more near Belmont that are, right. are my kind of favorite, you know, local joints. And, the, and they're actually very close to each other as well. Uh, I love an Italian spot called Poppy's place right under the train station in Floral Park, cozy little one room, you know, restaurant, great Italian food. Uh, and then uh, a restaurant actually that just opened up a couple of years ago, uh, it's called the Harrison in a similar location, right, right near the, the train station in Floral Park. And, and that's all sorts of different food, uh, kind of, kind of a, you know, American uh, style cuisine, if you will, but great vibe in the, in the Harrison as well. In all right. I, we, we got you on record. I, this is, uh, this is on, me on YouTube. So I'll, I'll try to check out as many of those as I can. Three more quick questions. Then we're going to end the show again, Joe, really appreciate you taking the time. Hope you enjoyed the experience here uh, on the all about Adelphi, uh, the second episode, um, other than your dad, favorite athlete growing up. Oh, so I mean, uh, it's gotta be Henrik Lundqvist. I'm a, I'm a huge okay, New York I, Rangers fan, yeah. huge hockey fan. I, I'd say if you had to pick my number one team that I focus on and root Rangers. on, I root for it's the Rangers. And uh, it's just an absolute shame that we didn't get a guy, get the guy a cup. It, it a great disservice. But uh, I was actually at uh, the game the other night where they retired his jersey, and uh, wow. I, I didn't cry. I swear. That's that's awesome. All right, now last question, and you'll understand why I'm asking this question, but you do need to explain to our viewers why I'm asking you this question. You ready? Which would you rather have pre-flop, pocket eights, or ten jack suited? And by the way, I'm a holding player as well. So if we somehow hook up in New York, you are personally invited to that to, to my home game in New York while I'm at Saratoga. Although you probably just take all of our money, but anyway. No, come on. Talk, talk about why I asked you that question, and you can answer that question too if you want. Okay, well, look, I'm going to answer the question, but it's maybe a little complex, but it kind of depends on your position, right? I mean, oh, it, you know, there's a bunch but. That's well, a whole other pod, Joe. That's a whole other pod. Head, gun to my head, I'm going to go with Jack 10 suited. 
just because set mining is not the, you know, you, you want to try to flop that eight on the flop and, and it, it, the odds are going to say that it's, it's not as likely as maybe finding a nice hand with the Jack 10 suited. And maybe you're a little bit more disguised with the Jack 10 suited as well. Sure. But, 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 uh, but, but if you're looking for the straight, the eight's a blocker. So I don't know if that, was, that might be a problem, right? If, but if, but both hey, if, it's, if it's pocket eights versus Jack 10 suited, now we're getting real interesting here. But, there you go. Uh, See, I threw the blocker. I threw, threw a little vocab your way. I'm trying to show you that I belong a little bit in the uh, in the holding world. Tell everyone what you've accomplished because I didn't know that. I, I, it's, it's awesome. I read that. Well, look, I, I, so I actually, I, believe it or not, this somehow came up at the sales grass today. Somebody asked me if I was playing poker lately. And honestly, the answer is that I haven't played poker seriously in probably two or three years, uh, okay. to be honest with you. Um, you know, and I, I kind of liken it to, you know, um, uh, you have a knife, right? And you, you sharpen the knife, right? And, and you can make the knife really sharp where it's, it's kind of dangerous, or you can let the knife get dull and maybe it's, it's not that dangerous at all. I would say once upon a time, maybe back, uh, you know, what would it be? When did I go deep in, in the main? It was probably five years ago now, so five or six years ago, you but 97th in the, in, that was in the main event world series main event finished 97th. Yeah. Is that correct? That is correct. And it was wow. a hell of a run. I actually won a satellite at Foxwoods uh, to, okay. to get into yep. Maine uh, because obviously buying in for $10,000 is not something I can do, <laughs> but uh, what was you that know, payday, you if you don't mind me asking for 97th, uh, 97th, I think was $61,000, $62,000. So yeah, I just paid off my student loan. It's great. Everybody always goes, "What did you do with the money?" I just, I just paid off my student loan. That's all I did. Didn't do anything exciting. <laughs> I didn't buy a You're car. You're so busy now. Yeah. I mean, you, you don't possibly yeah. have time to obviously play seriously. Well, but you, so, you play a tournament once yeah. in a while. Or, I mean, are you just you've just completely taken out of your life, basically. Well, I used to love to play like these two day, three day tournaments. Uh, I used to go to Borgata all the time and, and play and they have their, their tournament series. And, and I had sure. some nice caches and, and would love to play tournament poker, really study tournament poker and kind of, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. And like I said, back then the knife was sharp. Right. And, uh, and was very, very, you know, I wasn't great, but I was pretty good discipline and a good player. Uh, now I, I remember those things I learned, but they're not super fresh in my head. And sure. there is a good poker player in there somewhere, but he's not around right now. I, and I just don't have, like you said, I just don't have time, Howard. And, you know, to, to, it, you. you know, as a, as a player as well, you need to really be playing to be good. And, and I really don't play seriously anymore. Maybe one day get a little older, buy some of those nice horses and, and you know, could slow down a little bit. Maybe I'll get back into the poker game, but, but no, not, not lately. Well, that's pretty cool. Joe, you're so talented. Everything you do. Congratulations on all your success. Uh, as a bloodstock agent, uh, jockey agent, everything you do for the Adelphi Racing Club. On behalf of the Adelphi Racing Club, uh, we all appreciate all the work you're doing at the sales. And I look forward to meeting you and also your family. Love to meet your parents. Uh, also, hopefully, uh, this summer I'll be there again in June for the first time at the Belmont Stakes. I'm sure we'll find a way to hook up, and then I'll be at Saratoga uh, in July. So any closing thoughts before we uh, end the show, Joe? Oh, no, look, I, I, you know, excited to to see you at those places uh, this summer, Howard, and, and excited to meet in person. And, and honestly, excited to meet so many of the new partners with Adelphi. Uh, I, you know, just Matt is just a tremendous guy that, uh, you know, I've met, you know, a few years back and, and uh, we've become very close and, and, I, and I can just vouch for what a tremendous, uh, you know, a gentleman he is and, and a guy that's really trying to get people 
into the game in a positive way and really educate them so that they can have a good experience. Um, and I'm excited to see what the future has in store for Adelphi. And, and man, I really hope I pick out some fast horses for you guys and, and we can all have a great time and make some, some lifelong memories. I'm sure, I'm sure you will. And we look forward to seeing Salivo and Magistrate on the track sometime soon, winning lots of money. That's Joe McLeary. Joe, thanks. I'm going to actually leave you here on, on screen here as we end the show. This has been Howard Kravitz, and this has been episode two of All About Adelphi. Thanks for joining us tonight, folks, and we hope to see you next time on episode three of All About Adelphi and this Thursday, 6 p.m. Eastern, with Matt Bernier talking a little Kentucky Derby uh, news and prep and also a great day at Oaklawn Park this Saturday. For Joey McLaurie, this is Howard Kravitz. Take care, everyone. Good night.